Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 45 of Conquering Columbus. We got a great guest lined up for you today, and she was the EY Entrepreneur of the Year in 2016 for the Ohio Valley region. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, conquerors, let's get the show on the road. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Heather Whaling. She's the president and founder of Gebbin Communication. And Heather is also a board member over at the Women's Fund of Central Ohio. And in 2016, she was named the EY Entrepreneur of the Year in the Ohio Valley region, which includes Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here today. So how's your day going so far? So far, so good. Yeah. What's a typical day in your life look like right now? 
So a typical day is a fair amount of time spent networking and connecting, doing events, working on business development, and then a portion of my time is spent working with our team to make sure we're delivering high quality work. How big is the team right now? We're 25 people. We just opened an office last year in Chicago, so we're also here and there. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. I was going to say, you guys are excited for Elon Musk to put that uh, bullet train through, right? I mean, I am all for any type of improvements <laughs> in transportation. So what is it right now? Just plane flights back and forth? Yeah. You make the drive? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's only an hour or so flight, so thankfully it's pretty easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why Chicago? We had a concentration of clients there. So we had three of our five largest clients were there, and that just happened by accident. So then we thought if we were intentional about business development, we could probably pick up a couple more clients, and thankfully it's worked. Yeah, that's exciting. So maybe we'll kick it back from the beginning because I want to start diving into deeper questions, but everybody's going to be all confused. So chronologically, (laughs) we'll start at the beginning, and wherever you think your story starts the most significantly, whether it's like your early childhood, high school, college, and then we'll kind of work our way up through. Okay, so I'm from Columbus. I'm from Westerville originally. Went to school at the University of Toledo. I was a PR major, so I'm one of those rare people who actually uses their major every day still. So after graduating, I worked for a public affairs agency there where I was doing campaign management, issues consulting. There is no deadline like election day, so that was really helpful for me in my career. It didn't matter how many media placements I got. If I couldn't get my people to the ballot and get them voting for my candidate, it didn't matter. So that helped shape my view on measurement and quality versus quantity. Then from there, I came to Columbus, worked for an event planning company for a brief period of time. Um, We did the media relations for the Major League Soccer All-Star Game when that was here forever ago. And then I moved to Orlando. When I was there for about five years, I was the director of PR for Central Florida's most award-winning PR agency. And it was around the time when social media got to be a thing. So clients were asking us about Facebook and Twitter and what is it? And so apparently I was the geekiest person in our office. And so my boss asked me to go figure out what is Facebook and Twitter and how does it relate to what we're doing as PR and why are people asking us about it? And more importantly, how do we sell services around it? So I launched my own blog and Twitter account and was doing pro bono work for nonprofits and sharing what I was learning online. And then I got asked to go speak around the country talking about social media as an extension of PR. So I was able to build a pretty good national network coming out of that. And then from there, I thought I had made a really good like business case. I thought I had an idea of how the agency could grow building around social media, pitched the idea to the agency partner who was in charge of business development at the time. He was not so interested. And so then I knew that that was probably not going to be a long-term fit for me. Like I said, though, I'm from here in Columbus. And so as much as I loved living in Orlando, it wasn't really home for me. And I was ready to come back. But it was 2009, the height of the recession. Not a lot of people were hiring, and they certainly weren't hiring PR people. So I had to figure out if I could find a job or create my own. And so I decided to go take a leap and create my own job and see what would happen. So I started Gabin Communication in December of 2009 from my living room and it was just me and then grew steadily those first few years. And then over the last four years, we've had really rapid growth. We've grown from four employees to 25 employees and opened the second office. And then that's where we are today. That's fast. That is a, uh, you had it all wrapped up very well. <laughs> I, I've, told, I've told that story a time or two. So a couple questions in there. I think the first one for people listening who might not be super familiar, what all does PR entail? 
So we talk about what we do in terms of traditional and digital PR. So people typically think of PR as like media relations. We want to get coverage. We want the New York Times to write us about us or Fast Company or the Dispatch or Business First. So we help our clients figure out what are they doing that is interesting and innovative and unique that we could take and pitch to media and how would it be of interest to their readers. And so we can get them coverage, editorial coverage, so not ads that they're paying for, but actually included in articles. We also do a fair amount of event planning analyst relations, which is really important in a B2B environment. But because, you know, so I come out of a traditional PR background, but I've been doing social media since social media's early days. So we also incorporate content marketing and social media and community management into what we're doing. So working with clients on traditional and digital and how both of those can work together to achieve better results and accelerate outcomes. So it seems like there's a lot that goes into that. You have to balance the brand of the company that portrays the messaging highlight big things they're doing at the moment and then still have a good skill set and the social media platforms and all of that. So that's a lot of things to juggle. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of messaging and voice and tone development, community management. It's relatively easy if someone gets $10 million in funding. That's a pretty easy story to tell. And I think where we're able to really provide a lot of value to our clients is even when you don't have that obvious news hook, we're still able to get you really great high quality media coverage so that you can stay top of mind and, and create that brand preference and brand loyalty among your potential customers. So there are there places you go to um, kind of frequently for um, stories that you're pitching to media for companies and things like that. Um, I guess my question is, what's your process of, you know, if they don't have that $10 million funding, where where do you find the stories to um, send over to the media and, and build that relationship? So we help clients, we ask a lot of questions. I think us being curious helps us uncover and unearth those really interesting nuggets of stories. We'll spend some time understanding what's interesting about their culture. We'll understand interesting use cases around their product, um, understanding what data they're sitting on that we can take. If there are national trends that they're a part of, we can help that. If there are emerging trends that we can help elevate, we can tell those stories. There's so many different stories that companies are sitting on, but because they're so close to their work, they don't realize that it's of interest to people outside their four walls. So we have a we're, we have a process that we can walk them through to help uncover some of those stories opportunities. But as, as important as it is to tell the story, it's just as important for us to understand what their business goal is. So from a public relations perspective, what are they trying to accomplish? And then how do we tell the stories that actually enable them to accomplish those goals? So who are the audiences that they're trying to reach? What are the messages they want to convey? And then we can build storylines that will accomplish those things. Okay. And then with those storylines, are you going to, I mean, you know, your typical... Um, when I think public relations, I think of the old school like newspaper. Like we're going to a newspaper and pitching a story to a newspaper. Where where are you, these stories showing up? I mean, blogs, obviously social media. Um, are there anything um, in particular that you that you're looking at and say, getting a lot of results from? All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. So we'll work with clients to understand who is their audience and then what media outlets are they paying attention to. We have found that some of the larger audiences um, or the larger outlets, while they have a high readership, their engagement level with their readership is very different. So we have a number of clients that we're working with, especially in the consumer lifestyle space, where we'll get the national coverage. And that's good from a visibility and awareness perspective, but it's actually that sort of magic middle. So the more targeted niche audience that are, those are the ones that are driving more sales. So mm -hmm. we try to balance what we're doing with those 
bigger pieces as well as the ones that we know will actually drive outcomes. But it's newspapers, magazines, blogs, e-newsletters, um, Instagram, you know, Instagram influencers. So who's got good, you know, especially for the consumer lifestyle section, we've got mm-hmm. a beauty client that we're working with. So who are the beauty influencers on Instagram and how can we be engaging with them? So it really runs the gamut. Are there any particular lessons from those first couple positions that you had from Toledo to Orlando and then when you kind of traveled on your own that helped you when you branched off and decided in 2009 to just make it make your own thing? I think having the experience of working in politics was incredibly helpful for me. So like I was saying before, there is no deadline like election day. So you could get all of the media placements in the world, but at the end of the day, if those media placements don't translate into voters going to the ballot to cast their vote for your candidate, it doesn't matter how many media placements you got. So I had a boss when I was in Orlando, and we talked about the thud factor. So the most important metric was how big was the binder of media placements that we were collecting so that when we went into the boardroom and we put it on the table, how loud was that thud that it was making? Well, that to me doesn't actually seem like a very effective, good way to measure PR. So I think that experience with politics helped me crystallize the idea that there are metrics that matter that we should be measuring against that have nothing to do with quantity, and it's all about quality. Um, So we now build our PR programs and our measurement programs around that idea, which is a little bit different than how probably a lot of other PR agencies are measuring the success of what they are doing. The other thing that I learned that was really important, particularly at the agency in Orlando, but also in Toledo, is the idea of doing well by doing good. Both of the owners of those agencies had really built their businesses by being involved in the community and doing pro bono work and working with issues and causes that were important to them. And that is something that I've carried over as I've built Gabin. Um, Gabin itself, the word, means to give in German. I am a big believer in the power of nonprofits in the community. I am involved in the Women's Fund and Gladden House, as we talked about. I'm, I'm involved in a number of other nonprofits. I provide time for everyone in the agency to volunteer. So each person who works for me gets up to 30 hours of paid time each year that they can use to volunteer or work on causes that are important to them. We adopt a bunch of other nonprofits that we do pro bono work for. And I think that has helped the business grow. There is something about um, people want to do work with people whose values align with them. So as we're able to show our work and our skill set by working with causes where there's a clear values alignment, that helps us attract other clients as well. So there's the altruistic reason to do it, but there's also the reason that's like good for business. Yeah, it's always good to have that second part, too. <laughs> Doesn't um, hurt. <laughs> so you talked about a little bit of political space. And I should probably know this, but are you familiar with David All by any chance? Uh-huh. Sure. So I believe, didn't he start a company where he was doing something similar when he was in D.C. for a while? I think he was, like, controlling social media accounts for different politicians. Is he that was, it? yeah. Okay. I guess there's not much off that, but I was just curious. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, kinda, I was wondering where you were going. Kinda, I mean, it just kind of rang a bell. It made me curious. <clears throat> so that's interesting. I guess another random question in there, um, you'd mentioned, like, as you jump to those different cities, is there anything in particular about Columbus? Normally I ask this at the end, but it seems to fit right now that is kind of stuck out to you where you said, like, well, if I'm going to create this business, I'm going to do it here rather than going back to Orlando, going back to Toledo, besides the fact that you're from here? One of the things I appreciate most about Columbus is how willing people are to help other people. So we've we've been very fortunate that people are willing to make introductions for us or open doors or send referrals to us. 
I am not a hardcore salesperson, so I love business development. It's probably the favorite part of what I do, um, but I don't do cold calling. I, we probably wouldn't have a business if I had to do cold calls. And I love that Columbus also gravitates towards that idea of relationship building and how can we meet each other and get to know each other and then what doors can we help open for each other. So the idea of partnering and connecting is something that resonates with me and thankfully it resonates with a lot of people here in Columbus. Um, I, I think it's a very different way of doing business than what you find in some other larger cities. Um, but thankfully, it's something that works out well here. That makes sense. And for you guys, it's kind of two different sides. So you almost have to sell the client that you can handle their PR work and produce good results. And then you have to go and sell that to the newspapers, the outlets that you're going through. So what is that process like for you guys in terms of are there any special techniques that you found to be really successful in terms of articulating your value proposition and, and landing you know, the high caliber people that you work with? We help startups grow into bigger brands and help bigger brands think and act more like startups. Because when I started the company, probably about half to two thirds of our clients were in the startup and emerging brand space. So there's this idea of working quick and nimble and flexible and fast that you, you know, if a startup's only been around for three months or six months, they're not going to let you take six months to create a plan and then another year to implement that plan. You have to be moving quickly from day one. Um, so that mentality is something that is baked into who we are as a company and, and we move very, very quickly. The larger companies who are used to working with more traditional type agencies that take longer periods of time very much appreciate that we move so quickly and that we're constantly coming to them with new ideas and new ways to incorporate technology. So that for us, I think, has been a real point of differentiation that we've been able to leverage that has helped us attract the startups, but also helped us attract the bigger brands. Are you allowed to talk about some of those brands that you work with or is that private? Um, so Donato's is a client of ours here locally. We work with Coda. We work with the largest maker of RVs in the country. We work with a Fortune 100 health and beauty retailer that I can't exactly name, but you can maybe figure it out. Okay, we're going to take a quick break there, Conquerors. Um, basically what happened is we dove into some stuff that uh, Heather necessarily can't talk about on a public radio show. Um, even though we're not radio, it's a podcast, but you guys know what I mean. And uh, we're going to take this break, though, and do something productive here. If you guys take a look down in the show notes of this episode, we'll have a link to a survey. We want to hear from you guys. So the goal of this survey is to uh, learn a little more about our listeners, what you guys like, um, what you want to hear about, and any guests that you think we should bring on the show from around Columbus. So if you could please check it out, go down and fill out that survey. It really helps us out, and it lets you have a choice and an impact on future episodes of the show. All right, that concludes the break, guys. Let's dive back into the episode. And then Jack Hanna told us when he finds Bigfoot, he's coming to us first. So. <laughs> but we're on a tangent now. Nice. That's a big one. All right. I like Bigfoot. So let's delete that whole section. Right, it's gone. <laughs> anyway, so jumping back, and I lost my train of thought because I had a good question before you ruined it. Um, was, oh, so I think what I'm interested about, like 2009, you're sitting there and you decide, you know, your back is a little bit in a corner, which I see a lot of entrepreneurs kind of start at because... There wasn't anybody really hiring within your space, so you said, I'll just go out and do it on my own. What did the first couple of days, weeks, and months look like in that process? I was really fortunate that I was working for an agency that was a great agency, so I could have stayed there if I wanted. So I had a nice, safe, steady, reasonable job. But when I told them what I wanted to do and that I was going to move to Columbus, thankfully, they were very supportive. So I 
still worked with them on a contract basis for those first couple months, which was helpful because it did provide a little bit of a safety net. I, when I first started, never actually wrote a business plan. I wrote a PR plan. So I didn't really see the point in spending a lot of time in writing a three or five year plan that would be based on an incredible amount of assumptions that would be flawed because I had never actually started a business. But I knew that if I could write a PR plan, I could execute the PR plan and then it would be fine. So the first part of what I did, it was all about networking. I networked like crazy. I would go get coffee with anybody who would go get coffee with me. I went to a bunch of events. I did some pro bono work for nonprofits. I was spending a lot of time uh, writing content for my blog and interacting with people on social media, finding speaking engagements, all the things that I tell my clients that they should be doing, I was doing for myself. And that helped lay a really solid foundation for the company to build from. Is that what a PR plan looks like? Or PR plan? <laughs> PR, I don't know what a PR plan looks like, <laughs> but a PR plan, is that just involved the networking and what you talked about? Or was there more to it than that? So it's networking, it's media relations, it's content marketing, it's social media, it's all the above. There's a lot of different pieces that go into it. Okay. Were there any key connections you made early on that you felt like really had an impact on your future growth in business? Sure. So I um, have had a great relationship with a woman named Deirdre Breckenridge. See, she has authored, I think, like nine different PR books. Um, she and I initially met on Twitter. We each were moderating a PR-focused Twitter chat. This is like back in the day when people still did Twitter chats. Um, but we had a great relationship. We've since then spoken on panels together. We've worked on clients together. And she's just become an incredible mentor for me. And it's been really helpful. There's a woman here locally. Her name is Sarah Irvin Clark. She has a great PR agency called Irvin PR. Um, she focuses mostly on like media relations and event-related PR. And so there were a couple opportunities where she brought us in where we would team up on projects. We would do the social media and she would do the media. And that was just so nice of her. Like we were new. I was new to town and it was great of her to bring us in and to be so open and generous um, sharing those relationships with us that the, that helped us really a lot at the beginning especially we're, we're canceling the conquering columbus twitter chat for next week um <laughs> sorry that's a terrible joke but <laughs> they used to be really popular i mean you used yeah, to be able to do a twitter I'm... chat like every day of the week there'd be multiple twitter chats going on and so right. now i think in targeted situations they can still work but it's so different than what it used to be mm -hmm. is that just a twitter conversation between two different people is that kind of how that works so a twitter chat is when you have a hashtag and everyone's talking around the hashtag so the one i used to moderate was called pr 2.0 chat so it was hashtag pr 2.0 chat and so i and a friend of mine justin who lives in kansas city he and i were the co-moderators so every week we would have eight to 10 questions that we would throw out during the hour. And then there would be a group of 100 or 150 people um, at the peak, probably just answering those questions and sharing what each other was learning and, and offering advice. And there was really a community around forward thinking PR people, and they would gather to talk around that chat, basically. It's interesting. I guess so I, I never got never got in the uh, loop on those. Right, Nobody yeah. ever hashtagged me. Um, and yeah, and people could, you know, chat with each other and follow people that were thinking and talking about similar things, but mm -hmm. what do you think, I guess my question is, what do you think the downfall of Twitter has been? Because you hear about it all the time, Twitter's earnings are in the tank, um, people, you know, users are um, following for Twitter. I mean, maybe not following, but definitely not near as much growth as things like Facebook, Snapchat. Is there anything about Twitter you think that it weakens it in terms of PR? So I am unabashedly a Twitter fan. I love Twitter. <laughs> so I have a hard time when people talk negatively about Twitter. I think certainly they've made some product decisions that have been a little questionable. I think they're, they seem to be 
releasing new updates on a much quicker pace or a much quicker cadence now, which hopefully is good. They can kind of test and learn and iterate. Um, there is nothing like Twitter when there is breaking news. Like you cannot get that experience on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere else. So you think about the presidential election. There was nothing like Twitter during the presidential debates or during the inauguration or even now as there's like breaking news about Russia or whatever it is. Those conversations are starting on Twitter and then moving over to the other networks. Facebook's not really breaking news. So for someone like me who's a news junkie, Twitter is still a great place to be. I think Twitter also is great. There are very specific communities that are still very strong on Twitter. And you just have to make sure you're finding and following the right people. So if you're just following a whole bunch of random people, you're not going to get a lot of value out of it. But if you can figure out how to find the right people who are talking about the topics that you're interested in, Twitter is a gold mine. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I didn't, I, you know, from my perspective, I actually didn't mean like for me personally, Twitter is my favorite. Yeah. Um, oh, now he's going to pull back his comment. No. <laughs> Twitter is my favorite social media, but they're not doing well financially and as a business. I guess my, my perspective was the business plan um, of Twitter seems to be they, they got to find something to make money. But well, she makes ahead, PR Josh. plans on business That's true. plans, Mike. <laughs> so Jack's a pretty smart guy. I think he'll like figure something out. Yeah. Well, he's too busy with Square. He's Are they working. running both? So he, he's a CEO for Square and Twitter. That's awesome. But he makes a lot of money. <laughs> and we're going on the worst tangents ever. I don't think we've ever done this. <laughs> right. No, this is pretty incredible. Leave it to me to come and we have all the tangents. <laughs> so going back to, you talked about your news junkie. Where are some of the main sources you go to for your news with all the outlets that are out there now? So I read the New York Times every morning. Um, that's literally like even before I get out of bed, the first thing I do is read the New York Times. I Twitter is a huge source of news for me. I have a handful of Twitter lists that I use so I can find political news. I can find news about all different other topics that I'm interested in. I subscribe to a handful of e-newsletters that I'll kind of skim through and read. I'm a big fan of Fast Company and Inc. I read those pretty regularly. Um, those are probably my major go-to sources. So when you say you read the New York Times, you read the entire New York Times? Yeah, so like I like before I get out of so I used to have this problem. Now we're really gonna you get out of bed like five o'clock. Now we're really gonna go down a tangent. So I used to have this problem that I would hit the snooze button every morning and that is not good. I need to like wake up and get my day started. And what I realized is that I needed something that I really enjoyed to get my day started. And I love reading the New York Times in case there was any wonder how big of a nerd I really am. So now I set my alarm and when my alarm goes off, I wake up and I read the New York times and then I get out of bed and do whatever else I'm doing for that morning so I'll read um, I read like the in the app like that front news section I'll read the most shared stories I read the media technology US politics sections every day most of the time I'll read the fashion and style section um, depending on what client work we're working on sometimes I'll make sure I read the health section or some of those other sections but I, I read pretty comprehensively the New York Times just about every morning how does one learn to enjoy reading the New York Times? I want to get into reading so much more, and I tried yeah. so hard to make it like a daily part of my routine, but I pick it up, and it's just like I just get totally lost and zoned out. And if anything, that would cause me to press the snooze button and make <laughs> sleep. So you have to find the stuff you're interested in. So I was a political science minor, so I love politics. So if nothing else, I can start with the political section, and I'll be hooked just because I think it's fascinating. But just find stuff that you're interested in. Last year, I set a goal. I wanted to read two books a month, and for the most part, fiction. So I, I read, other than like the New York Times, I don't read very much nonfiction. So I don't read like business books, or I certainly don't read marketing and social media books for the most part. But I love reading fiction books. I like reading autobiographies. I enjoy hearing other people's stories or learning about their journeys. So I set a goal to read two books a year. 
I'm also a very competitive person. So if I have a metric in front of me, I will figure out how to make it work. So I use the Goodreads app and you could set how many you're reading and set a challenge for yourself. And I was able to do that and then read those. So I think part of it is what is the goal for yourself and is there a way to track it to hold yourself accountable? What are some of the best biographies you read recently? So I loved um, Ashley Judd's book, which the name of it is going to escape me now. I thought Ashley Judd's book was great. Shonda Rhimes' book is fantastic, Year of Yes. Um, I wish I had my app in front of me. I could tell you (laughs) a whole bunch of different ones. Um, There was one book called uh, When Breath Becomes Air. I think it's about a guy who ends up like having brain surgery. He had brain cancer, and and it's a phenomenal story. Um, Those are probably my favorite ones off the top of my head. And how do you find time to balance that with personal life and running a company? It, for me, I would do it a lot of times just when I was getting ready to go to bed. I would just, you know, climb into bed and open up my iPad and read for a little bit. Or I have a three-year-old, almost four-year-old now son. So when he goes to bed at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, it's not like I can leave the house and go anywhere. So if he's sleeping, I can sit on the couch and read for a little bit. Or, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, it, I read. I have found that I read better or more on my iPad than in an actual book. But then the nice thing about that is that I always have it anywhere. So if I get somewhere and I have an extra 15 or 20 minutes, I can sit and read my book then. So I try to squeeze it in all different times. Nice. So now that I've ripped apart everything personally that I could think about at this moment. <laughs> what else can I tell you? <laughs> to go back to the company. Um, <laughs> talk about a little bit maybe the biggest accomplishments up to this point and then Maybe even biggest failures if you're comfortable with discussing that. I would say one of the biggest accomplishments, so twofold on accomplishments. One of the biggest accomplishments is opening the office in Chicago. That was a big deal for us to be able to go into another market to have three full-time employees and five clients there basically right away. Um, That was something I was really, really proud of. The other accomplishment that I'm really proud of is we last year rolled out Geb and Loves Families. It's our paid leave policy. We provide all new moms and new dads with 10 weeks of paid leave, whether they give birth or adopt, at 100% of their salary. For a company our size, that type of progressive generous policy is pretty much unheard of. Thankfully, we're starting to see more policies like that come to fruition. Um, But we've really been on the forefront of the paid leave discussion. It's been a big deal. Uh, The last year or so, for the first time ever, um, the Republican and Democratic platforms in the presidential election both endorsed paid leave. Certainly, they go about it differently, but at least they were both in favor of some concept of paid leave. Um, So since I rolled out our policy at Gebbin, I've been in Forbes, Refinery29, Entrepreneur. I've done events with Councilwoman Liz Brown in Innovation Ohio here. Um, And so being on the forefront of innovative workplace policies and showing that there is a different way to do business and that you can see your employees as people worth investing in, not just an expense, is something I'm really proud of. Yeah, definitely. And um, one thing I wanted to dive into actually was the – the EY Entrepreneur Year Award mm-hmm. for last year. So can you tell us a little more about the award and um, the EY organization? Sure. So EY Ernst & Young, it, mm-hmm. now now known as EY, it's the accounting firm, and they have this incredible global awards program where they're trying to find the best entrepreneurs from across the country. So they've divided the country up into categories. We here in Columbus are in the Ohio Valley, which is Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky. Um, and it's a pretty thorough process. So there was an application process I had to submit. I had to submit financial information. Then there was a round of interviews. They sent, it was probably like six people that they sent to my office and they spent 
three hours with me at my office. They interviewed other people from my team. So it was a very thorough vetting process. Um, then there was an interview round in Cincinnati. So once you make the finals there, then you have to go to Cincinnati. There's a round of interviews there. And then there's a awards event that night. Um, and so I won there at that awards thing. And then you go on to the national competition. And in my category, MailChimp, the email provider was the winner, which I was like, that's cool. I can lose to MailChimp. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really thorough process, but it was, it was I mean, obviously an incredible process to go through. And it was a huge honor. I had no idea that I was going to win. Um, my parents came with, and a couple of people that I work with came with me to the award ceremony. And I thought I had no chance of winning. I hadn't thought at all about what I wanted to say. And like, I'm a PR person. I would never let a client go to an award ceremony without talking points or anything. But I like didn't think I had any chance. And then we got there. And as they were going through it, I looked at my mom and I was like, oh my gosh, I might actually have a chance to win this. And then hurriedly, I tried to think of like, what do I want to say in my head? Yeah, so, I gave my uh, my senior year uh, speech banquet in college with no talking points. I walked <laughs> up there and I thought like, I'm going to kill this. Like I got this in my head and there's just so many people up there. It's probably like like 50 people in the room, but it felt like there was 400 <laughs> and I just said nothing. I was like, it's been great. I'm going to step so down. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll talk to you guys later. So. I was glad that I like remembered to thank the people. Like my parents were there. I thankfully remembered to thank my parents. I thanked my team. And the other thing, I was the last award. I think I was the last award of the night. And I was the only female that won. So out of all of those categories, I was the only woman who was Entrepreneur of the Year. And there was only one or two other women even nominated. So I was really proud of myself that at the end of my speech, probably like as my knees were shaking, I managed to say something about that when you go home, there are all of these women who are phenomenal in your communities. And each of you in this room should go find another woman and encourage her to, to go through this process and help her through the submission. Because there are amazing women who run companies and we need more of them on this stage. So I was glad that I remembered that at least. Absolutely. And so I guess my question that I wanted to ask was what was tougher, the uh, EY interview or Conquering Columbus? Well, we're, we're definitely making it tougher. <laughs> you keep going. We can make it a lot tougher. Uh, one, uh, so one thing we did skip, though, and I don't want to drag it back too much, but what are some of the failures that you've had up to this point? Oh, yeah. So I think when I don't listen to my instincts is when I tend to go awry. So probably my favorite example of that, I was um, looking f to hire someone had connected with a person who used to work at another agency. She up and quit that job and went on sort of a traveling sabbatical. And then when she was ready to move back to Columbus, she and I were chatting. And um, I remember having the thought of like, ooh, she might be a flight risk though. Like she up and quit one job. What if she did that here? But I convinced myself that like she did that once. She certainly wouldn't do it again. And then like six months later, she and moved out west and so that for me like she was working on really important clients for me and so that was a really hard time but looking back on it if I had just listened to my instinct I wouldn't have made the hire to begin with so I think I've learned now to be more attuned to what my instincts are saying and not rationalize myself out of what I'm feeling or thinking and how does your hiring process look like today? Um, are you doing a lot of it still, or do you have other people on your team helping you? Or So I have, um, Taylor is a person who works for me. She's been with me the longest at this point. She's my director of client services, and she leads our, we call it talent pipelining. So we are always interested in meeting smart people, whether they're ready to work for us now, or maybe they have interest in working with us a couple years from now. We at least want to get them in that pipeline so that we can get to know them, they can get to know us. So we have a pretty thorough talent recruitment screening process okay and so what's the uh, culture look like 
at your organization. So what type of culture are you guys trying to build and what are the values that you're, that you are uh, emphasizing daily? Our culture, I think, is based or rooted in having a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit. So because we do so much work with startups and emerging brands, and because that's what our larger clients have come to appreciate about us, I want everyone to have a little bit of that mentality who works for us. We are also curious technologists. So while we're PR people, we also need to be very curious about technology and thinking about how we can apply technology to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We have what's called our house rules. That's like our version of mission, vision, values. It's 10 guideposts that really shape everything that we do, whether it's personnel decisions or partnerships or whether we choose what clients we choose to work with. So it's things like no jerks allowed or celebrate mm -hmm. success, partnering and connecting or our competitive edge. So it's these things that are very specific to us that it doesn't read just like a mission statement that you'll find on, you know, any poster or anywhere else. Um, but I think having those those house rules articulated creates that um, common ground that we can all work from. And I think that's been really important for the culture. People ask me all the time how much I want Gavin to grow, especially the last few years, because we've grown so much relatively quickly. And my answer always is, as long as the essence of Gavin remains intact, we'll continue to grow. And that essence is really built around that culture. Mm -hmm. So that wraps well into our next question. <coughs> what, are the, what are the next five to 10 years look like for you and your team and in your head? So we just turned seven, and so we rolled out um, a three-year plan of who do we want to be when we turn 10 years old, so we're really focused on that. We're focused on doubling the good that we do in the community. So like I mentioned, we do, um, right now everyone can volunteer for 30 hours. We are involved in Kiva. I'm on the Women's Fund. There's a lot of like pro bono work that we do in the community. Over the next three years, we want to double that, so we need to basically double the size of the company for us to be able to do that. Um, to double the size of the company in three years is a pretty big undertaking. So we're looking at how do we continue to do what we're doing, but then are there new products and services or packages that we can offer um, to help clients potentially engage with us in different ways? What would a product or service or like a package look like for you guys? Can you talk about that in a little mm -hmm. bit more? Detail? So most of our clients are on retainers. So they get, you know, 40 to 45 hours a month over, you know, and then they can use that for six months or 12 months or whatever. Um, we're looking at doing or we are doing some packages. So we have a social media strategy package where we come in, we assess what you're doing, we develop a social media strategy for you, and then we execute that strategy for three months. So you can see what the strategy looks like when it's executed really, really well and what measurement looks like, what content looks like and then we turn it over to your team to run to kind of pick up the ball from there and run so that's one we've worked on we have a strategic planning session so maybe you've got really great smart people on your team you just need that fresh perspective to put the plan together or maybe you've got more junior level people you need someone to help them put the plan in place and then they can take it and execute it so we have a half day package where we come in we work on messaging audiences goals tactics calendaring timelining we do it all in a very concentrated period of time then we go back to our office, put some meat on the bones, and then turn it back over to you, and your team can take it and run with it. So it seems kind of counterintuitive and, um, to me. You know, like a lot of businesses I know are looking to keep people hooked, but those sound like things that you know you work with them and to kind of put them out on their own feet. So what keeps them coming back? So the vast majority of our clients are on retainer. So they are long-term mm. relationships. So what we're looking for, we know that there are some people who don't need a PR retainer because they have a staff internally or they've got really smart people internally. They just need 
extra help in a specific area or they want to bring in a fresh perspective to help with some planning. So we're trying to find ways to work with companies that may not need a retainer long-term relationship but still could use some extra support. Right. That makes sense. And then um, another question we like to ask uh, a lot of our listeners out there are entrepreneurs, aspiring young professionals, people who hope to one day be entrepreneurs. Um, Do you have any advice for how they go about their days, what they should be doing to build themselves both professionally and personally? Yeah, I would say network as much as possible. Um, When I first got started, I was networking like crazy. And even now I spend a ton of my time doing that. You never know where that next great opportunity is going to come from or who will be willing to open a door for you. So network, network, network. I would also say spend some time understanding what your definition of success looks like. There's this idea of like, what it means to be a good business owner or what it means to be a good parent or what it means to be a good community volunteer. Well, you can't necessarily achieve everyone's definition of perfection in each of those categories. So what does it look like for you as success? Um, Instead of letting other people define what having it all means, define your all and then build your life around that vision specifically. So when you first answered that, I thought you said not work as much as possible. Right. And I was confused, but it rolls well into my next question. <laughs> Network as much as possible. Yeah, I was like, not work as much as possible. This is going to be good. Um, but I'm interested to hear what your work-life balance has been like since creating the company. I'm sure it was pretty tough in the beginning. And you can kind of talk about how maybe it's balanced out or changed today. Yeah, I think when I first started the company, I was, you know, like all entrepreneurs, I was working a ton. I didn't have a great like definition of this is when work is over. Um, I think I tried to be fairly cognizant about that because I do think that you have better ideas and more creativity if you take time to turn off your brain. But certainly when I first started, it was a lot of work. I have a son now, so I have an almost four-year-old. So that um, created a moment in time where I had to get better about work-life balance. I'm a single mom, so he's with me almost all of the time. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I leave the office at four o'clock and I go home and hang out with my son. And I'm fiercely protective of that time. Like, I don't do calls. I don't do meetings. I don't do networking events. I save that kind of stuff for Tuesdays and Thursdays, the days when he's with his dad. Um, On weekends, for the most part, I try really hard not to work. Like maybe if I have to do a little bit, I'll spend an hour on emails or writing or something like that. But I try really, really hard to have that time that's protected just for me and and my friends and my family. But I think it then allows me to be a better business owner during the week. I know it allows me to be a better mom when I have some of those boundaries. Uh, So work-life balance is something I've worked really hard at. I was on a panel the other day um, and they used the phrase work-life flexibility, which I loved instead of work-life balance. Like you're never going to achieve that balance. You're always going to feel like something is out of balance, but the idea of flexibility is something that was really appealing to me. So there are some times where I have to go more in on work. There are other days where I have to be more attentive as a mom. You know, if my son is sick, I'm going to stay home and hang out with him and take care of him. And having that flexibility is invaluable. It's one of the things I think I appreciate most about being an entrepreneur. So what are some of the strategies that you try besides maybe reading or spending time with your son for, you know, turning your mind off and relaxing? So I try to do yoga a few times a week. Um, I go in and out of meditation. I try to be better about meditation. This month I'm trying to meditate for 30 days in a row. So hopefully that will get me back in the habit. But I know that when I meditate, I'm a much more pleasant person probably. Um, How long would the meditation be? It could be like right now I'm just trying to get back into the habit. So it's like five to 10 minutes. It's nothing very long. I would like to get it up to like 20 minutes or a half hour, but right now I'll just 
take what I can get. <laughs> um, I have a, I bought a bike from Roll not long ago, and so I'm enjoying riding my bike and working up to better distances there. Um, so those are probably like the good things, but then even just little things like I like going to get brunch with my girlfriends or going to happy hour, just taking that time to disconnect and, and spend with people I enjoy. Do you guys work with Roll as well? Yeah. 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 Stuart Crane's a nice guy. Yeah. Stuart's fantastic. <clears throat> Their new bike is amazing. That's the, I bought one of the new ones and it's great. I didn't even know they made them for themselves. I, I listened to him talk one time at Startup Grind, I believe it was, mm-hmm. and then talked to him a little bit afterwards and it seems like they're doing a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. He's great. Space. And so, uh, one of the last questions we always like to ask wrapping up the show is, um, the theme of our show is live uncomfortably. And, uh, it means a lot more to us than just, you know, putting yourself outside your comfort zone. So, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and have you lived uncomfortably? <laughs> um, there are not very many women entrepreneurs who are also single moms. And so I think navigating that space has been a challenge and it forces me to do things differently than how people think you should be when you're a mom or think you should be when you're an entrepreneur. Um, so that's been probably a little uncomfortable sometimes, but I also appreciate the challenge of it and the opportunity to show people that if they don't think I can do it, I actually can figure it out. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. And do you have any final closing words before we uh, part ways? No, this is great. I love that you guys are talking to Columbus entrepreneurs and really shining a spotlight on the local entrepreneurship community. It's important, and I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, well, thanks for ha- uh, being on the show. And uh, Conquerors, thanks for listening. He's going to say thanks for having us, which kind of is true <laughs> because we, we were a nuisance most of the show. Right. <laughs> it's appropriate. But, well, thanks uh, for having me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all right, Conquerors. Uh, Thanks for listening again, and that'll be the end of today's episode. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you like that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor, check out that podcast app you're listening to us on, and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here, is give one last shout out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, Check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com there will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode and if you guys could fill that out for us we'd really appreciate it
All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.